Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss the United States President Joe Biden invoking fascism. Whether using the Holocaust or Holocaust-era terms in comparison to today's issues is ever appropriate. And if politicians should take a history class before taking office. Let's get started. I want to begin this podcast with a mini disclaimer of sorts. Even though this podcast will discuss American politics, this is not going to be taking a side on American politics or American political movements. However, this podcast will focus on the concepts and ideas in American politics on all sides. In American politics and around the world to some extent, we see the growing use of World War II era political speech. This could be in politicians, commentators, and civilians using words like Nazis to describe their political adversaries. Or in the most recent case, the President of the United States describing a growing movement within the United States as, quote, semi-fascism. Is this, like many times in politics, simply just hyperbolic slams against their political opponents? As we do in this podcast, we'll be using the facts and history to look into this idea of fascism growing in the United States. Is this actually happening, or is this inappropriately using words in the wrong way? To look into this, I'm going to have to pull out my Holocaust studies lesson from my high school curriculum when I teach it to my students. When I show my students the pre-World War II world of Germany and the rise of National Socialism in Germany, there are a few key points that I like to present as the building blocks leading towards World War II. Following World War I, the winning Allied nations created the Treaty of Versailles, a peace treaty that ended the war and officially declared that Germany and its allies had lost. What was worse was that the treaty forced Germany and its allies to accept complete and total responsibility for the entire war. Obviously, anyone who has studied World War I knows that there were many growing issues in Europe, which was triggered by an assassination against a high-ranking member of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Many important aspects of militarism, alliances, and nationalism were like dominoes falling into place as the world is pulled into a world war. In their surrender, Germany was forced to accept full responsibility in a move for the victors to impose their will and write the historical record. The Allies also punished Germany with devastating punishments. They forced Germany to give over land to its neighbors. They were also limited in their military forces to ensure that they could never act aggressively again. Lastly, and most importantly, the Allies demanded that Germany repay a debt to cover the costs of World War I. The Allies demanded financial restitution of 132 billion gold marks, or about $269 billion today. Believe it or not, this was not fully repaid until 2010. Needless to say, the average German civilian's pride and economic outlook were bleak. Enter Adolf Hitler and the National Socialist Workers' Party, or Nazis. They are promising the people to end all of these negatives of the Treaty of Versailles, and restore the national pride of the increasingly humiliated German people. As the Nazi party begins gaining political momentum in the 1920s as the party for the beleaguered and forgotten German masses, they put out a 25-point plan to summarize what they will do in Germany. We won't go through all 25, but a few of them really do stand out. See if any of these sound familiar in the American politics of today. Point number four. Only a member of the, quote, national race can be a citizen. Point number six, the right to determine matters concerning administration and laws belong only to the citizens, and therefore we demand that every public office be filled only by citizens. Point number seven, we demand that the state be charged first with providing the opportunity for a livelihood and a way of life for the citizens, 
members of foreign nations or non-citizens are to be expelled from the Reich. Point number eight, any further immigration of non-citizens is to be prevented. We demand that all non-Germans who have immigrated to Germany since 1914 be forced immediately to leave the Reich. Point number 20, the state is to be responsible for the fundamental reconstruction of our whole national education program. Point number 23, we demand legal opposition to the lies and their promulgation through the press. Point number 24, although all religions are allowed, the party advocates from the standpoint of a positive Christianity. Historically speaking, we've seen some of these concepts in America today. Firstly, we see that politics has become much more polarized as an us-versus-them idea. We see that it is a growing populist movement that feels that they have been forgotten politically and economically. Most of all, their national pride has been destroyed and or tarnished, and it needs to be repaired. I feel that when this type of thing happens, the environment is ripe for political parties to accidentally or purposely fall into post-World War I platforms in order to get votes from those aggrieved people. The same anti-immigration and America first ideas that have popped up in American politics are right from the fascist playbook. It is not so much the forbidding or banning of immigration that is concerning, although that does ring true today in some parts of American society. However, these ideas are extended to what type of person is considered to be, quote, allowed to be a citizen and therefore allowed to have a voice in the country's politics. These people also get to decide who they deem fit for running for political office. Even those who are in the United States legally are presented as, quote, the other, and somehow less of a citizen and should therefore have less of a vote and a say in government. Many of these ideas are that only the right people who believe what we believe get to run and have a say in politics. Another thing that really scared me was this idea that the Nazis considered, quote, national education. The idea that there were certain facts and information that was false and should not be taught to children. The German government wanted to make sure to control what was taught and what especially was not taught in the classrooms to their students. We have seen governments around the United States trying to dictate what history and civics lessons should be taught and ensuring to make it illegal to speak about anything outside what they have decided to be appropriate. I'm not trying to suggest that there are people within the American population and the government purposefully using the fascist playbook, although this could be the case in some situations. I am simply suggesting that history tends to repeat itself, and this seems to be the case again here. We are seeing a growing and angry populist movement who now feel that they are not being represented. The quote, other, is somehow taking over their country via population growth and or political power, and therefore the politicians, seemingly more so on the right, have filled this vacuum and have stumbled on these fascist ideas to appeal to the angry populations. It worked for Hitler in the 1930s, and sadly, it works again in this decade too. Human nature doesn't change. When we come back, we're going to look and see if politicians like Joe Biden should be referencing the Holocaust or World War II metaphors in current politics. We'll be right back on the Jewish Diaspora Report. In our last segment, we looked into the similarities between the politics of post-World War I Germany and modern-day America. Recently, in a speech, President Joe Biden commented that people of the MAGA Republican side have shown themselves to be semi-fascist. Of course, the right-leaning media and the politicians are up in arms over this horrible comparison. They have painted Biden as divisive. They've even suggested that labeling someone fascist is just over the line. 
In our last segment, we did see some similarities between the fascist playbook and what's happening now in the United States. But is it right to use these terms in politics? Can modern right-wing populism be compared to historical examples of fascism? We have seen this growing usage of World War II imagery. Politicians often using words like Nazi or Gestapo. We see people comparing nearly everything to the Holocaust these days. First of all, can we ask the question on why everyone has a fascination with the Holocaust? Why is everything compared to that? There are so many other events in the world that could be talked about, genocides and abuse of power or whatever, but for some reason, always the Holocaust. Is it because everyone knows how serious the Holocaust was, and therefore more people would understand the reference and realize how bad this is? However, for some reason, they know how bad the Holocaust was to be sure that they use it as a reference, but don't realize that it is safe to say that almost 100% of what you're comparing to the Holocaust is an inappropriate comparison. Not long ago, after Congresswoman from Georgia Marjorie Taylor Greene referenced the Holocaust on many occasions, she was offered the opportunity to have a guided tour of the Washington Holocaust Memorial in hopes of having her see how her references were inappropriate. She agreed and gave a press briefing right after her experience to apologize for her comparisons. Sadly, it was not long before she went right back to using Holocaust references when speaking of modern issues. This is a much more clear violation of the memory of the Holocaust for a few reasons. When using very specific aspects of the Holocaust, something without comparison, it is clear that there are no similarities. As an example, mask wearing and death camps could not be more different. These can be very easily debunked in their comparison. However, if someone is to call their political opponent a communist or a socialist or a fascist, are these over the line? I would say that these are not as easily to be dismissed. If someone is, for example, to call their opponent a socialist, it's easy to look through some of their policies and actions to decide if they align with socialist ideologies. Similarly, if Joe Biden is to suggest that his political opponents display some type of fascist ideology, we can easily look and decide for ourselves if that comparison is accurate or not. Even if the right-wing media likes to grab its chest in shock over the idea that the president would evoke this type of language, this, in theory, should be easily disprovable if it's not true. Maybe we should ask to hear what examples Joe Biden has for this type of comparison before we judge it to be inaccurate. Similarly, when someone calls someone a socialist, I would expect that person to be able to provide evidence of why they're making that comparison. I wish the right-wing media would be shocked and up in arms when politicians make references to the Holocaust in the political arena. This apparently is far less of a concern for them. Someone comparing national health advisors to Nazis is far less controversial than suggesting that politicians speak and act in a way that is similar to historically fascist regimes. On the one hand, we have one part of the media claiming that suggesting a political movement is semi-fascist, albeit without supporting arguments, has crossed the line. Whereas those same people calling their political opponents socialist without supporting arguments is apparently not the same thing. I'm not going to roll the many clips on these same media personalities that are up in arms about their opponents calling them fascists, using the exact same words to describe their own political rivals as fascists. The hypocrisy is beyond parody at this point. In the end, we know that the media is filled with exaggerated and hyperbolic outrage with a side of hypocritical actions. We cannot expect much from either side of the aisle. However, what I would suggest is that there should be a line drawn and all sides should agree. General suggestions of one side being socialist and the other being fascist should be accompanied with some examples and proof of your argument. Hopefully, the electorate will be educated enough to understand these issues in order to know when it's an exaggeration or when the term is accurate. What we cannot do, however, is complain about the rather benign comments while ignoring serious line crossing when it comes to issues of the Holocaust. One thing that is becoming increasingly clear in politics today 
It is not that name-calling is an issue or that history repeats itself, but that our politicians need to be more educated themselves. Incredibly, not only is there no educational standards for people who serve in government, but there's no real class for them to take in order to even understand their role in government, let alone the history of the country and the world. I cannot help but think if there was a mandatory education for politicians and government officials, many of these inaccurate historical comparisons and purposefully or accidentally falling into history's mistakes could be avoided. Maybe knowing what the Nazi Party's 25-point plan said and where their plans led to may make American politicians think twice before going down that road. Unless, of course, this is what their actual goal is. What is more frightening in the current situation is that it appears that the most uneducated and ignorant person who is willing to say the most shocking thing against their opponents are the ones getting into office for exactly that. It is no surprise that we are seeing an environment that is just heading politicians down the fascism road, just like we saw after World War I. There's an angry electorate who feels that their national pride has been destroyed and are looking for someone to come and improve their lives. Hopefully, unlike in the 1930s, we won't see the rise of a movement who embraces authoritarianism and fascism as a way of improving their national pride. We saw how well that went the last time. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Don't forget to check us out on social media at jdr.podcast and listen to some of our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. We'll see you next time. 